Pastor Villarreal's father was sent to a prison work camp just because he was preaching the gospel. Uh, the home of one pastor's parents was seized unlawfully, and because of the, the corruption in the judicial system, nothing was ever done in the court of law, even though that home had been owned lawfully by his parents for many, many decades. Um, as a seventh grader, Daniel was singled out and physically struck in front of his peers just because he was the only repenter in his, in his class. Um, since communism fell in December of 1989, the situation there in Romania is better. But now the evangelical church faces persecution from of all places, the Eastern Orthodox Church there in Romania. Now, that's just Romania. It's a place that, as you know, I've visited often and we know well. But tragically, we could spend all day today talking about how the church is being persecuted in Afghanistan, in Iran, in the Sudan, in China, and many, many other countries. Here, here in our country today... Everything is tolerated except genuine biblical Christianity. You can freely talk without consequence about a God of your own making in the public square, but not Jesus Christ. Today, people lose jobs in the public sector because they pray. People's businesses suffer or are destroyed because they hold to a biblical morality or ethic because they won't openly embrace the LGBTQ plus agenda. The, the killing of babies in their mother's womb is viewed as good for individuals and good for our society. And there was a day in our country where two people might not agree, but they showed respect to each other despite the differences. That's... Not true anymore. Today, those who advocate for a radical progressive agenda for this country demand that you embrace their views. And if you don't, there is a price to pay. The freedom that we have had to worship Jesus Christ without hindrance from our government is quickly eroding. And Statistically, we learned that Christianity appears to be dwindling in the United States. Pre-Pew Research Center, in an article dated October of 2019, says this, and I quote, The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. That's down 12 percentage points over the past decade, just in 10 years. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population, consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, now stands at 26%, up 7 up from 17% just in 2009, end of quote. And so today, uh, in our country, there seem to be less Christians. There is a greater price 
to pay for being a Christian, and increasing degrees of persecution are becoming more commonplace. And I would argue that one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that contributes to this is failed leadership. And last week, in the tail end of chapter 56 of Isaiah, we learned that when leaders fail, people suffer. We learned how character is normally to blame for that. And when this happens, people follow. People are impacted terribly when leaders fail. And we see that in our own country. We, we see that within the church here in the United States. But as we talked about last week, thankfully there is one leader who has never failed. It's Jesus the Christ, our, our King, our Redeemer. He, he alone is the Good Shepherd of the sheep. And He has promised boldly to build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And so there is great hope. But this morning, the question that I want to put before you is this. Where, where are your eyes this morning? Who, who are you looking to for help? Who has captured the affection and loyalty of your hearts and lives? Do, do you have an abiding hope? Or are you plagued by an unrelenting hopelessness because you see our country in decline. What do you see in our broken world today? We would all agree that our world is certainly broken, but today I want you to know and I want you to remember that though the righteous suffer in this age, their end is peace. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. And I quote, The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. So notice two things. One, in this age, the righteous man and the, and the devout man seem to be dwindling. Um, they're, they're taken away from calamity. Now, maybe their lives are squeezed out by the wicked. Maybe God, in His mercy, takes them to glory and away from this calamity. But the righteous man perishes, and no one thinks about it. No one understands why devout followers of Christ are taken away from calamity. Uh, in this age, people will care People care so little about righteousness that when righteous people are missing, they, they don't even notice. They won't understand why there is chaos in our society. They will fail to comprehend how the righteous have served society well. It's God's plan for the righteous to be salt and light, preserving society and driving away darkness. But while Society may experience unrest and not even comprehend why the righteous will enter into peace. So, you, you may suffer at the hands of the unrighteous, but you, the righteous, are promised peace. 
And that's the second thing that, that you must see and remember in this text, the promise of peace. So don't, don't lose sight of that promise of peace. You, you will experience suffering in this age, but you are promised peace and rest. We, we have that today by faith in Jesus. We have peace with God because Jesus suffered in our place. But we can also experience the peace of God in our hearts when we face trials of many kinds. It, in a passage that offers an antidote to anxiety, Paul tells us in Philippians 4 to pray, to be in the habit of giving thanks and to pray for specific needs that we have in our life. And then he tells us to think about things that are good and right and true. And in verse 7 of Philippians 4, he makes a bold promise, and I quote, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, he says, And the God of peace will be with you. It's not only what he gives, but he himself will be with us. So re remember the context of Isaiah. The Lord's perfect servant will come. He's promised, and he came will accomplish great things. Isaiah tells of bold and precious promises that have and will be fulfilled by Jesus, the perfect servant, the suffering servant. And ultimately, there is a day coming when we will be with Jesus face to face on the new heavens and the new earth forever. But in this age, in this age, while we wait for the return of Jesus, those who are righteous will suffer. Those counted righteous in Christ by faith and are enabled by the Spirit to follow Christ will suffer in this lifetime. When that happens, though, by the enablement of the Spirit, we're not angry about that. But like Christ, we count it a joy to follow Jesus even if we suffer for doing so. Je Jesus is the one who taught us Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus promises rest and peace. We're, we're told that, that Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. So when we suffer in this age, we don't lash out at our enemies with anger and bitterness. Instead, we love them. We pray for them, we return good for evil, and we make known the glories of the gospel to them. But be prepared because you will suffer. Paul says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So be prepared and don't lose sight of the promise of peace, not not from our, we have peace not from our circumstances, but from the God of peace. So what, what do you see in our broken world? Well, my prayer is that God will give you grace to see not only the hardship and the suffering, but also the peace that He promises. The, the peace of God given through Jesus. That's that is the future for the righteous. Now, in sharp contrast, though the wicked flourish in this age, their end will go from bad to worse. Uh, listen to verse 3 through 10. 
But you, draw near, sons of the sorcerers, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. (laughs) Now, remember, Isaiah's original hearers would have been ethnic Jews. This is is quite a description of people with blood ties to Abraham. Verse 4, whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? So, in other words, by your life spot, lifestyle, you, who, who are you mocking? It's the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 4 goes on, Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? And, and, and now what follows, beginning with verse 5, is a catalog of their offenses. Verse 5, You burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree. This is a reference to fertility worship who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks. This is a reference to child sacrifice. Verse 6, Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them, you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. So this is a reference to pagan worship. Verse 6 continues, Shall I relent from these? The Lord asks. Here, here, here the Lord's asking, a rhetorical question, should I stop pouring out my wrath on you for these things? And by, by no means, God is passionate about the glory of His name among His people that He's entered into a covenant with. Verse 7, on a high and lofty place you have set your bed, and there you went, to off, went up to offer sacrifice. So in, in other words, on... All of these high places of idol worship and the worship of false gods, you're guilty of spiritual adultery. Worse, it's, it's like sleeping with a prostitute. Verse 8, behind the door, in the doorpost, you have set up your memorial for deserting me. You have uncovered your bed. You have gone up to it. You have made it wide. And you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on nakedness. So, This idea of being behind the door suggests that they may have thought that their sins were private, but obviously God knows. Verse 9, you journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength so that you were not faint. So, here are people that went to great lengths. They, they traveled long journeys to seek the favor of these gods. But though their way was hard, they, they did not stop. They, they had opportunity to turn and repent, but they refused. They persisted in their idolatry. And because of that, life went from bad to worse. Now, we celebrated communion this morning, and one of the benefits of communion is that we affirm again and again our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we rehearse the many great blessings that are ours in Christ. We renew our hope in Christ and our commitment to follow Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10.14, Paul tells us to flee idolatry, um, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 are some, gives us some of the clearest instructions about the place communion has in our life, the Lord's table. In that context, Paul tells us 
to flee idolatry and to commune with the Lord. Paul, Paul demonstrates here, though, that idolatry today is really a matter of the heart. I, I say that because in one situation, eating meat that had been offered to idols is not a sin. It's just meat. But in another situation, if you're eating a meal with that very same meat, but do it as part of a worship service to idols, then it becomes sinful. They, then you become guilty of idolatry. So same meat, different situation. So it's not just the meat, it's the heart. And in truth, anytime we make something or someone more important to us than Jesus Christ, we are guilty of idolatry. If our allegiance is to anything or anyone uh, is, is above Jesus Christ and His revealed will in the Bible, then we're guilty of idolatry. And today there are lots of good things that God wants us to enjoy. Lots of them. Family, uh, health, jobs, nation, money. Uh, second, First uh, Timothy 6.17 tells us that God gave money for our enjoyment. But the moment any of these things become more important or more influential in our lives than obeying and trusting Jesus Christ for God's glory, it becomes an idol to us. And so the point of verses 3 through 10 is this, that if you give way to worshiping idols, your life will go from bad to worse. There's no good future for the worship of idols. So Paul says, flee idolatry. Isaiah says, flee idolatry. Um, it, it's interesting even the Apostle John in his first letter written to his, his dear little children, he, he says, keep yourself from idols. The very tail end, the very last part of that letter, he says, keep yourself from idols. So don't let, don't let anything or anyone become more important to you than the joy of obeying and trusting Jesus for God's glory. That is our spiritual worship so life must be centered upon the person of jesus christ for god's glory and thankfully god is patient with us uh, he he has the track record of giving sinners opportunity after opportunity to repent but it is important to remember that in verse 11 we learn though given many opportunities in this age those who don't fear the Lord will be consumed by other destructive fears. Verse 11 says, Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time and you did not fear me? So here we learn that the Lord is patient. He, he held His peace for a long time. Um, when Paul tells his conversion story in 1 Timothy 1, he talks about how he used to persecute the church. But then God called him and saved him. And in verse 16 he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as a foremost, or as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. So, God is patient, 
But the sad reality is that those who don't fear the Lord and, and choose not to repent of that sin, though, though the Lord is patient, they can be consumed by other fears, destructive fears. Uh, Isaiah asks in verse 11, Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied? So the, the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a good thing that produces good in our life. In fact, when you fear the Lord, you are in a position to learn how to order all of your life around the sweet authority of Jesus. But when you don't fear the Lord and instead give in to other fears, then you become vulnerable to all manner of evil that will bring destruction to your life. So if you fear man instead of God, it's a trap. And, and it will cause you to do all sorts of wicked deeds because now you're willing to do anything to gain a man's approval and you have no regard for God. I, I knew a young girl one time who feared storms to such an extent that it was impossible to help her find any comfort from Christ. Uh, you, you may fear cancer. You may fear COVID, a job loss. Uh, broken relationships, whatever it might be, you may fear something so much that the person and the promise of Christ mean very little to you, practically speaking. So the question really is, what do you see in a broken world? And my prayer is that God will give you eyes to see the supreme worth of our sovereign King and Redeemer and Good Shepherd who delights in caring for and protecting his very own children. So the, what, what the Lord wants you to know is this. Though popular, worthless idols and false gods cannot save. Verse 12 and 13 say, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them off. A breath will take them away. So if, if you are a worshiper of idols, if you make anything more important than following Jesus, and if you choose not to fear the Lord and to build your life around Christ Jesus and make Him central in all that you think and do, then you must understand that when problems come, and they will come, but when they come, because we live in a broken world, your idols will not save you. They're, they're powerless. Uh, your, your idols are plentiful. Uh, lots of people, lots of people may worship the same idols. They, but again, remember the righteous are dwindling, is what Isaiah says. But idols are worthless. Popular but worthless. Instead of rescuing you in your problem, they and you will be carried off and destroyed by a mere breath. But, though unpopular in the world's eyes, trusting Christ gives hope and a future. Verse 13 ends by saying, but he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. <laughs> I'm glad we end on a good note in this kind of obscure text of Isaiah. 
that this idea of possess, possessing the land and inheriting the Lord's holy mountain points ultimately to the promise of glory, the promise of being with Jesus on the new heaven and new, on the new earth. Uh, this is the future for the one who makes Jesus his refuge, his or her refuge in life. When, when your hope is in Jesus, you, you won't be disappointed. But we're, we're not talking about the need to trust Jesus only in your conversion when you're first saved. We're, we're talking about living by faith in Jesus every day. Um, now, thankfully, Jesus promises to keep us believing to the very end. Uh, we, we have hope for this life because he, He's faithful to do that. But the point is this, He is at work in you so that you will live by faith in Jesus every day. Um, there, there are a plethora of temptations that come your way, seeking you to knock you off course. You, you will constantly face temptations to make idols your refu- refuge rather than making Jesus your refuge every day. And so the question that I really want to end with this morning is this, in whom, in whom are you trusting? Uh, who, who is it that brings comfort to you? Where, where do you go for comfort? When you face problems, who or what is it that helps you? What's your stress reliever? What, what is it that, that sustains you through difficult times? Who is it or what is it that gives you hope? Who, who, are, who are you listening to? Who lightens your load in difficult times? Who is it that makes you smile? <laughs> what, what do you see in our broken world? Is it the many man-made solutions to the problems of life, or is it God revealing Himself to you through Jesus by His Spirit? May, may God give you eyes to see Jesus only today. Flee, flee idolatry and trust the God who saves. Let's pray together. Father, if it weren't for your patience and your gentle persuasion, your persistence, none of us would be here today Father, we confess how easily we can lose our focus. We confess how easily we can buy into trusting in many other things, often even good things, to give us what we really need in life. When all the while you hold out before us and you reveal to us that What you have given to us in Jesus by your Spirit is what we need more than anything else. So Father, I pray that you would help us as a body of believers to see Jesus in our broken world today. Uh, To be honest about the difficulties, but by faith, keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus.